0: Welcome to the Money Answer Show with host Jordan Goodman. Whether you are starting out, deep into your retirement, or somewhere in between, the Money Answer Show has the know-how to help you. Now here's your host, Jordan Goodman.
1: Welcome to the Money Answer Show. This is Jordan Goodman, your host. My guest this hour is Mike Larson. He is the senior analyst at Weiss Ratings. Uh, he writes two newsletters, one's called Safe Money Report, and the other one's called Under the Radar Stocks. Welcome to the Money Answer Show, Mike. i glad to be here. Just tell us a little bit about your experience leading into your time at Weiss waiting, Ratings.
2: Sure. Uh, my background, I'm originally, I came into the business working at Bloomberg News in Boston and uh, following the markets there. And then I started with a company called Bankrate.com, the old Bankrate monitor. In the uh, early 2000s, and that's sort of where I picked up, uh, or late 90s, early 2000s, where I picked up uh, my particular interest in, in the rate markets and sort of what interest rates mean for the stock market and, and sort of and the economy overall. Um, So that's my background in in researching that part of the market. And then I joined Weiss back in 2001 and have been associated with a number of different products and services that we've offered. Uh, But again, sort of carried forward that that area that focus on interest rates and what they mean for investors and sort of how uh, it impacts the the outlook for other investments in the stock and currency and and commodity markets as well. So um, that's where I come at this from. I I, I love the business. I think there's always something new and exciting to to follow and and, um, new trends every day uh, to, to catch up on. So I think it's been, uh, it's been a real rewarding experience over the years.
1: So tell us a little bit about Safe Money Report. Who is it aimed at and what kind of investments are you looking for for investors in Safe Money Report?
2: Sure. The Safe Money Report is our, our company, company's flagship newsletter. We've been publishing it in one form or another since the late 1970s. Um, Dr. Martin Weiss is the founder of the company, and I still work with him these days, um, talking about investment strategy and so on. And the Safe Money Report, as you might guess from the name, we're generally more conservative. We're looking to uh, tend to recommend investments that offer dividend protection, that give you a, a margin of safety, that aren't just sort of chasing the latest fads but are based on a methodology, a multi-step methodology that we use that kind of identifies um, higher-yielding companies that do offer sustainable and growing dividends, that have the ability to pay those dividends in good and bad environments. And also, um, you know, we do look into other asset classes as well when we think it's appropriate. We will have things like ETFs, uh, also gold allocations and so on, um, when I believe that that need for safety and soundness exists outside of just the stock market. Uh, and again, we're pretty happy with how things have been going lately. I mean, this has been a market the last couple of years, really since the beginning of 2018, that has rewarded safe money investing. Um, those types of, of companies have actually outperformed uh, an emphasis in this late-cycle environment on on more safe, defensive investing has really paid off for people.
1: Now, you have something called the Weiss Rating System, and you rate individual stocks. Just briefly explain how the Weiss Rating System works and how do you use that in recommending stocks?
2: Sure. Our company originally, or we still do publish two types of, of ratings. We publish investment ratings. and We publish safety ratings. Um, we actually originally got into the safety ratings business where the theory um, developing a model that's designed to basically look at the safety and of banks, insurance companies, credit unions, and so on uh, from a perspective of is this bank or, or other institution at risk of failure or not? Therefore, should you be confident or less confident in dealing with them in in terms of shopping for life insurance or depositing your money there in the bank and so on? So we have that on the safety rating side. Then on the investment rating side, we do evaluate every stock um, that's traded in the U.S. or Canadian markets. Um, we do also uh, evaluate ETFs and mutual funds. So all told in terms of data, it's a, um, somewhere on the order of about 40,000 different asset classes, individual or institutions and so on uh, when it comes to publishing ratings. So it is a, a, a quantitative system that looks at a number of different factors, and that's kind of a starting point. We publish ratings uh, anywhere from an A or B, which equates to a buy to C's, which was essentially a, a, in Wall Street term sell, is sell, Excuse me as hold, and D's and E's would be sells. And people can use that as kind of a, a, guide, a guideline. They can look at their stocks, um, their ETFs, their mutual funds, see how they're rated, and it sort of acts as a, as a good, um, either, you know, it supports your view, your bullish view on, on a particular stock, or it refutes it and kind of you know, tells you maybe you need to do a little bit more research here with the individual investments you've picked.
1: And over time, have the A's and B's outperformed uh, the D's and E's?
2: Yes, we've studied the, the results um, that you know, and done a lot of back-testing on the model, and we've had uh, the stock, rate, stock ratings model um, operating since the, the 1990s, so this is something that's been sort of tested over a long time scale. Uh, but, yes, we find that, uh, that over time the A's outperform the B's, which outperform the C's, and so on. Um, and I think it can be a useful guide, um, useful guide, and at least whether it's a starting point for research. Uh, I use a lot of screening in my own services where I'll look at, at you know, a general rating screen to see, okay, get rid of the, the, the hold and sell names. Let's just look at buys. And then within that universe, uh, if I feel utilities are, are a solid pick or if for some reason I'm bullish on the banks at a point in time, I can use that initial rating screen to get rid of the, the names that I think are, you know, the system itself is finding as less, uh, less finan- or fundamentally and technically sound and then go from there and conduct my own research uh, beyond that.
1: Very good. So let's take uh, take a look at a broad view of the world economy now. The general consensus would be, before the coronavirus came along, that we're growing in the United States, maybe growing slower in Europe and Japan and and Asia, but still basically growing. We've got these trade deals. Brexit is now confirmed. Uh, Interest rates are low, if not negative. So everything's pretty well going along well. The stock market's been in a bull market for 11 years or so. So what could go wrong? That's kind of basic compression. What, what is your view of that?
2: Sure. There's a few things that I, I think I would maybe take the other side of there. And I would, note, I would back things up a little bit to the first quarter of 2018. And that's when we really started to see a change in the pattern. While the market overall did manage, in terms of the S&P 500, did manage to make marginal new highs a couple of times after that point, uh, at each point that it made a new high, we saw less participation in our own rating screens. In other words, if you look at the ratio of buys to sells in the Weiss rating system, we were making lower highs in that ratio, even as the S&P was making slightly higher highs. And that fits with basically a message of less participation in the market. You can see it if you look at things like small caps, if you look at things like transport stocks or financials. There's other sectors that have been lagging the market and have been since that that, uh, first quarter of 2018. Before that Point in time, uh, it was a, a market that had very broad participation. Uh, the, the secondary indicators were confirming new highs. But again, things have changed since then. I think it's for, for an important reason, and that's that we've kind of reached the, the tail end of this economic and credit cycle. Um, we've seen a lot of easy lending. We've seen um, you know, a lot of extreme behavior, particularly on the corporate debt and corporate borrowing side, somewhat akin to what we saw on the mortgage uh, and consumer side in the last cycle. And I think we've seen um, you know, sort of running out of steam since then. If you look at sector performance, what's been outperforming and what's been underperforming, up to that point, it was a lot of the more offensive, early and mid-cycle type sectors, your transports, your financials, your growthier type stuff. Since that point in time, it's really been your more defensive, pre-recession, uh, safety-oriented sectors that have outperformed. So things like utilities, REITs, consumer staples, and so on. I mean, you know, the numbers obviously change all the time, but if you look at the two-year performance uh, utilities, on average, are up about fifty percent, fifty-one percent in total return. So that's uh, that's a you know a large advan- advantage or a large uh, beat in performance relative to not just the S and P, but sectors like uh, financials and transports, which are up maybe ten percent or less during that time frame. Uh, so again, it's a different kind of environment, and it really has been changing since the first quarter of two thousand eighteen. And that means investors have to adopt different strategies or, or really look to do some rotation to try and you know, make the most out of this environment that we're in now versus that confirmed, very broad, uh, unadulterated um, bull trend that we had from 2009 up to that point.
1: But how about technology stocks? You know, you have Apple and Facebook and Google and Amazon. All those companies have done extremely well gone to new highs. That, that's an yeah. anomaly to what you're saying. Yeah,
2: that that is pretty much the only other sector that has not fit the bill, if you will, um, that, that in sort of the defensive. So you are right that, especially in the mega cap arena, the very large, um, very large tech stocks, the fang names, whatever you want term you want to use, they have been sort of the the, the, the one exception to that. But one thing that I've seen, um, uh, you know, in the case of the select handful of very cash rich uh large technology stocks is essentially they're not in the as bad shape or a uh, territory or whatever you want to call it as they were in, in the dot com cycle it's a different kind of tech company when you look at things like Apple and Microsoft and so on um but i think outside of that handful of names really if you look at at these other sectors that's where the outperformance has been and that's what investors have been flocking to And I think it's a very obvious reason for that. We're in this low-rate, low-yield environment where people want, um, you know, know, with a 10-year Treasury yield falling, with uh, this ZERP, NERP world, zero or negative or very low interest rate policy around the world, it's tough to generate income. You can't get it from government bonds uh, the way you used to be able to. Um, so I think investors are, are desperately seeking that income, that yield. And that's um what you're finding or that's why you're seeing these higher yielding, more defensive sectors outperform. Um, that's where the yield even you know, relative to history, the, the yields are low, but at least it's beating what you're gonna get in the S and P, it's beating what you're gonna get uh ten year treasury, and so on.
1: Well some would say that talk about bubbolicious that all the uh, bonds and bond proxies like REITs and utilities are extreme overvaluation uh, because of this kind of search for yield. Uh, Do you think that's true or do you think they have further to go?
2: Oh, I think they're definitely extended, no doubt. I mean, we when I look at what the safe, what I did in the Safe Money Report portfolio and sort of spotting this trend, I mean, we rotated out of the aggressive things and into these more defensive sectors two plus years ago. So it's been a very, you know, it's a very nice environment and very profitable uh, trade and investment shift to make for two years. That said, at some point, this trend is going to end. Um, I just don't yet think we're at that point, because I still think heading into a, a, a weakening economy, which is kind of my base case scenario... Uh, where recession risk is elevated even before the coronavirus news, all of those factors tend to argue for rates staying low. And I wouldn't be surprised if the Fed ultimately has to cut two or three times um, this year beyond what they did last year to to try and support the economy. And in that environment, I think that the the dividend-paying type names and ETFs that that make money in a low-rate environment, those types of investments are still going to do very well for you.
1: Very good. We're going to take a break. This is Jordan Goodman of The Money Answer Show. My guest this hour is Mike Larson. He's the senior analyst at Weiss Ratings. He's the editor of the Safe Money Report and also the Under the Radar Stocks newsletter. You can find out more about him and his website, which is weissratings.com. We'll be back after this. You may not be the greatest at getting places early, especially when traveling and getting to the airport early enough to avoid that I might miss my flight anxiety. That's why I'm excited about Clear. Using Clear reduces your stress big time because you bypass those long security check in lines. So you never have to run to your gate again. Clear helps you zip through airport security with a tap of your fingers so you can get to your gate faster and relax. Clear replaces the need for physical ID cards because the system recognizes your eyes and fingerprints to get you through security quickly. With CLEAR, you are the best ID. Enrolling is quick and easy. Get started online, then finish enrolling at the airport with the help of a very friendly CLEAR ambassador. No need to make an appointment, it takes just about five minutes. Then you can immediately use CLEAR. CLEAR also helps you get through security faster at stadiums and other locations around the country. CLEAR members can add up to three family members for the discounted rate of only $50 a year. Kids under 18 are free, when tagging along with a CLEAR member. I remember vividly when I was taking a flight out of Las Vegas and the line of security would have taken at least an hour to get through, but I breezed right to the gate using CLEAR. Another time I was coming home from Orlando and I zoomed right past hundreds of screaming kids in all their Disney costumes to get right on my flight in plenty of time. CLEAR is absolutely the best way to get through airport security. It it works great with TSA PreCheck too. Right now, listeners to The Money Answers Show can get their first two months of Clear for free. Go to clearme.com slash moneyanswers and use code moneyanswers. That's clearme.com slash moneyanswers and use code moneyanswers for your free two months of Clear.
3: we're always talking business. Talk to an expert. Call now, toll-free, 866-472-5790. That's 866-472-5790. Voice America Business Network.
0: Many industries have been revolutionized by technology in the last decade. Books,
4: Your leadership journey must be a continuous process of education and improvement. If you think you've learned all you need to know, think again. Find out the latest from contemporary authors on topics from character to values and everything in between. Discover insights into servant leader fundamentals along with your host, Tom Crea. Tune into Your Evolving Leadership Journey, Mondays at 9 a.m. Eastern Time and 6 a.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Business Channel.
3: and find your frequency live fridays at 12 noon pacific time 3 p.m eastern time on the voice america variety channel we're always talking business talk to an expert call now toll free 866-472-5790 that's 866-472-5790 voice america business network You've been
0: listening to The Money Answer Show with Jordan Goodman. If you have a question for Jordan or his guest, please call us now at 866-472-5790. That's 866-472-5790. Now back to Jordan.
1: Welcome back to The Money Answer Show. This is Jordan Goodman, your host. My guest this hour is Mike Larson, senior analyst at Weiss Ratings, editor of the Safe Money Report and the Under the Radar Stocks newsletter. You can find out more at his website, Weisseratings.com. Welcome back to the show, Mike. I'm glad to be here. So we're talking about the economy slowing down, and obviously the thing that's hitting everybody right now is this coronavirus. What is your uh, expectation of what's going to happen, and what is the economic impact going to be worldwide?
2: Sure. I see. I see two things going on here. Um, first of all, in the very short term, the short term last few weeks, obviously the coronavirus is the big story. Many companies now have deep, you know, a lot of exposure to China in terms of customers over there or supply chains that are rely on, on Chinese manufacturing and so on. So I think it's going to be a clear disruptor and something that's going to be with us for a while in terms of um, impact on bottom lines for companies. I mean, especially in, in sectors like technology uh, or in some of the some of the retail sectors where they were, you know, companies were counting on, on Chinese sales to um, really sort of boost their overall results. So that's going to be an issue from an earnings standpoint going forward. Uh, but I think what's important for people to understand too is that this is is amplifying some trends that were already in place. But those trends were in fact already in place. The economy, in my opinion, and based on a lot of the data that I've seen, has been slowing for some time now. We're starting to see the trend in jobless claims flatten out. Uh it stopped improving. It's not getting worse. It's not recessionary yet. But we've seen improvement stop there. We've seen certain sectors like autos really lose some steam in terms of sales. Sales have been declining for the last couple of years in the auto sector, gradually, nothing too steep, but it is out there. You have business spending that's been weak for almost a full year now, and obviously manufacturing, even before the the coronavirus news, was weak and was having issues related to trade and tariffs and so on um, with China as well. So you throw it all in the pot together, and you can see, for example, interest rates, they didn't just start falling recently as a result of the coronavirus news, they've been falling since the fall of 2018. Um, We've seen the yield curve uh, flattening for more than 18 months up until last year where it actually started to invert in the spring. Those are typical things you see at the end of an economic cycle. So I think the markets sort of behind the scenes have been pricing in economic weakness or a coming downturn in the economy, or slowdown, I should say, um, if not a full-blown recession. So I think that that trend was already there. Coronavirus news is making it worse. Um, I, you know, obviously, we all hope for the best from a human standpoint. I mean, uh, nobody wants to see this thing spread any more than it already has, uh, but I think it 's probably inevitable that it does in an interconnected uh, world economy that we have so we 're going to be dealing with this issue for some time, and I think uh, again that 's why you 're seeing. Um, interest rates, uh, you know, get some extra sort of downside momentum, but uh, and upside momentum in things like gold that people buy when they're looking for safety. But those trends were already in place. I mean, gold's been in uh, essentially in a bull market move since the summer of two thousand eighteen. Interest rates have been falling and bond prices have been rising since around the same time. And those defensive sectors we talked about before, things like utilities and so on, have been outperforming for two years. Um, so that tells you uh, that something more than just the virus news is going on here.
1: Now, the administration in in Washington basically says the economy is going to be growing at 3% plus this year. Uh, We've got the trade deal with China so that that trade uncertainty is out of the way. We've got the USMCA, so we've got Mexico and Canada. Uh, we, We know what's happening with Brexit now. The three main things were kind of hanging over the market in 2019 have been resolved, so it's off to the races. What's wrong with that view of the world?
2: Sure, I think that that view tends to um, ignore some of the, the cyclical type things that are going on, particularly in the credit markets behind, um, behind the scenes. I'm a big credit cycle guy, uh, and I think maybe it comes from following the mortgage industry and sort of sort of what happened in the mid 2000s and how we had this enormous boom driven by easy mortgage credit. And then when that, you know, the tap got turned off, as you say, for, for mortgage credit, it impacted the broader economy. We've seen something similar this time around, where we've seen extremely easy conditions in the corporate credit market, uh, a lot of, of high-risk lending and borrowing going on, companies leveraging up their balance sheets, um, taking on a lot of risky debt, for uh, and in, some, in many cases, spending that money wantonly and, and nonproductive things, such as stock buybacks and so on. Um, so you have that issue that's been out there for a while. If you look at, at some data from the Fed that looks at credit demand, you know, is there more or less demand for business loans? Is there more or less demand for credit, uh, credit cards and auto loans and so on? And at the same time, are the banks being more generous or looser with credit, or are they being more stingy and tighter? And what's interesting is that for about a year now, um, we've seen credit demand gradually weakening. and We've seen banks gradually tighten standards. Um, that's what you tend to see at the end of a credit cycle. Banks start to worry, hey, you know, I'm I'm losing some money on uh, these loans that I wasn't losing money on a couple years ago. Or, gee, you know, we've lent as much as we can to all the good credit borrowers and all that's left is people who probably shouldn't be getting loans in the the first place. So You see banks tend to turn off the taps a little bit. And that's what's been going on. Um, And, again, it's in the Fed's own data. So when I see that kind of stuff going on, Um yes, these big headline news, you know, it's great we get this phase one trade deal or we have, you know, a detente with China on one level, but at the same time other things are going on in the economy that don't get talked about as much, but I think are equally as important. And that's what I think the, the other markets are picking up on. I mean again, Interest rates are telling you something. Gold market is telling you something. Even that that you know, breakdown in the stock market. Why are things like utilities and REITs doing well uh, so much better than growth sectors? Um, when do you typically see that in the cycle? You tend to see it in the the year or two leading up to a recession. I mean, if you go back to the, the the dot com year of 2000, we all think, oh, geez, that was a horrible year for the market, and it was. If you own tech, you lost forty some odd percent of your money in in just the tech the main tech ETF in the year 2000. But do you know that same year the REIT ETF and the utilities ETF were up about 21%? Um, It was a real split. And it's interesting that you saw those kinds of patterns emerge very late in the cycle back then. And I don't think it's any accident that the same pattern is emerging now.
1: So let's talk about utilities first. So uh, we have falling oil and gas prices as well as part of the whole coronavirus situation. So that should be Mm -hmm. good for them. What is the best way, do you think, for people to play utilities? Is it individual names or do you have some ETFs or mutual funds? How would you uh play people who, who at, at current prices uh in the utility sector?
2: Sure. I mean, you know, you pointed out earlier and it's true that they've already had a pretty big move. So it's likely you're going to see corrections, pullbacks, whatever you want to call it, at some point and probably not in the not too distant future. That being said, just like in any bull market, I think that's uh, those are corrections or pullbacks you want to take advantage of and buy. Um, you can just target an ETF such as the Utility Select Sector ETF ticker symbol XLU. Um, that's the ETF that tracks the entire utility sector. And the, the two-year returns on this thing are about 52%, so that's pretty impressive. Um, I like to drill down uh, and look at individual names that tend to rate highly in our Weiss rating system. Um, I think that you do tend to find that, that higher-rated stocks over time will outperform lower-rated ones. So one that I've been very bullish on for quite some time, I've mentioned it in presentations, I've mentioned it its in the newsletter portfolio, is NextEra Energy, ticker symbol NEE. Uh, that's the main utility here in Florida. They're doing a lot in the, in the renewable, renewable space, a lot of solar, wind, uh, power generation, and so on. Uh, and that company has been a phenomenal performer. Uh, it, it does great on up days for the market. It holds its own on down days. Um, and it's really been a rock-solid performer. So NEE is a, is a company in that sector that I like quite, quite a bit.
1: So that's an electric utility. How about gas utilities? You know,
2: when it comes to some of the, the the transportation, you know, gas transport, oil and gas transport companies, I mean, your listeners know, I'm sure, things like Master Limited Partnerships, some of these yes. companies that don't, you know, they're not producers. So it doesn't really theoretically matter what the price of oil is, the price of natural gas is. It still has to get from point A to point B and be stored and processed along the way. So there's a company called Enbridge, ticker symbol ENB, that I like. That's a company that's in that space and is a recent portfolio addition. It's pulling back a little bit with the market, but I think that's a company uh, that's involved in a lot of the, the, again, sort of moving energy from point A to point B that I think is a a pretty decent decent risk-reward. And the yield on that on Enbridge is around 6%, so you've got a nice dividend uh, pickup there as well.
1: So these are moving both on the energy front but also as bond proxies, right, as interest rates on Treasuries fall. Utilities go up on that, and and you think rates are going to fall further, so that would mean even higher prices for utilities going forward.
2: Yes, absolutely. I mean, your biggest risk in in this sector now or almost at any point in the cycle is is that something unexpected is going to drive interest rates higher. The economy is going to unexpectedly accelerate or we're going to get an outbreak of inflation or, you know, fill in the blank of what might cause that uh, foreign bond selling and so on. But if you look at this environment from the big picture, sort of a multi-year standpoint, I think we're kind of caught in this this. Uh, again, to use the acronym LERP, ZERP, NERP World, low, zero, or negative interest rate policy. Um, it's not just a U.S. phenomenon. We know that overseas, in Japan and Europe and, and other, other countries, um, central banks either couldn't raise rates at all during this entire economic cycle, or they've actually been you know, keeping them suppressed in, in zero or negative territory for years and years. When that happens, that tends to drag down, um, you know, you drag down interest rates globally, and it certainly has spilled over to the U.S., even the Fed itself is out there. They're in the process of studying policy right now and trying to come up with other ways to hit a 2% inflation target because they've been missing it here for several years now. Um, you know, I think a lot of it goes from, stems from demographics. An aging population means more saving, less spending, less dy- dynamic nature to the economy and so on. Uh, some of it depends on other structural factors. And you know, in that situation, you layer on top of that the potential for a downturn, slowdown, recession, whatever you want to call it, over the next 12 to 18 months. And you've got a reason to expect the Fed to cut interest rates further, and long-term interest rates are already leading the way. I mean, we have a 10-year Treasury yield that's essentially flirting with its all-time low, all-time U.S.
1: history low. Yes, indeed. Very good. Okay, we're going to take another break. This is Jordan Goodman of The Money Answer Show. My guest this hour is Mike Larson, senior analyst at Weiss Ratings, editor of the Safe Money Report. You can uh, see more about it at his website, Weisseratings.com. We'll be back after this. Are you sick and tired of earning only 0.1% on your bank account savings? Well, it's time to earn much more interest by opening a Wealthfront cash account. Right now, Wealthfront is paying 1.78% annual percentage rate on your cash. That's about 19 times more than the average rate of 0.09, which banks are paying these days. With that much of a higher rate, you can accumulate as much in four months. That it would take you 50 years to build up at a local bank. Every year, you make New Year's resolutions like to eat healthier, work out at the gym, or earn more money. Well, now you can keep that last resolution pretty easily with a Wealthfront cash account. There are no fees to set up your account, and your money is insured up to $1 million by the FDIC through their partner banks. It only takes $1 to open an account, which you can do quickly online or over the phone. Wealthfront currently has about $22 billion in client assets on deposit, Clients have earned over $70 million in interest on their cash accounts. In addition to being a great place to earn much more interest on your money, Wealthfront's an ideal place to manage your money. You can save, plan, invest, and get solid financial advice all in one place. In fact, my son, who works in the high-tech field, has moved all of his assets from a traditional brokerage firm into Wealthfront and put it into a managed basket of index funds that have performed extremely well. Right now, you can sign up for a Wealthfront cash account in less than five minutes by visiting Wealthfront.com money. Go to Wealthfront.com money and start earning 19 times more interest than you can get from a bank. That's Wealthfront.com money. Wealthfront is not a bank. Cash account is offered by Wealthfront Brokerage LLC, member FINRA SIPC. Wealthfront conveys funds to partner banks who accept and maintain deposits provide the interest rate, and provide the insurance. The APY is subject to change.
0: You've been listening to The Money Answer Show with Jordan Goodman. If you have a question for Jordan or his guest, please call us now at 866-472-5790. That's 866-472-5790. Now back to Jordan.
1: Welcome back to The Money Answer Show. This is Jordan Goodman, your host. My guest this hour is Mike Larson, senior analyst at Weiss Ratings, editor of the Safe Money Report and Under the Radar Stocks. You can find out more at his website, Weisseratings.com. Welcome back to the show, Mike. Glad to be here. So we were talking about negative interest rates, how U.S. interest rates have been falling. But in Europe and Japan, they've been literally under zero for quite a while now. But whatever, 15, 16 trillion dollars worth of bonds trading negative. Do you think America will ever get to negative interest rates? And If that were to happen, what would that be telling you about the economy?
2: It, it's amazing to see sort of where we are now, and especially when you take a longer-term perspective and you look at where interest rates were in the late 70s or early 1980s, and, uh, you know, people talk, always say, oh, I remember when I paid 15%, 16% or whatever to get a mortgage, and now uh, if you told somebody that in the millennial generation or, or Generation Z now that that... that That actually happened once. I think they'd stare at you like you were crazy. Uh, But uh, we all know that at one point in time, interest rates were much, much higher. And now we're talking about a 30-year U.S. Treasury that's around 1.85 percent, an all-time low. Uh, Ten-year U.S. Treasury is right around 1.3, 1.4 in that ballpark. I mean, these are are astonishing numbers. Um, But again, when you look at the rate market and the cost of money from a global perspective, uh, we're all linked in one way or another just because of economic links and investment links and so on. So the fact that in Europe, throughout this entire economic cycle, the ECB never got rates off the floor and has kept interest rates, their version of our Fed has kept interest rates pegged just below zero uh, for for many, many years. and you look at the Bank of Japan, which has done the same for many, many years, uh, that ultimately acts as sort of a downward influence on u.s. rates even though our, our economic circumstances are somewhat different and our demographics are somewhat different uh, we are still connected on some level and that's why our interest rates have been dragged down um, you know and that's and think of it, that's in an economy in the case of the u.s. where unemployment's been at multi-decade lows growth certainly hasn't been fantastic we're not getting three four or five percent gdp growth but we have been generally getting solid two percent growth and in that environment, we still haven't been able to see interest rates really get off the mat. So I think it's only logical to assume if that's all we could accomplish, or all we could do, or all we would see in interest rates during an economic expansion, what happens if I'm right and a slowdown and potential reset, potential recession is coming? Uh, in that scenario, what do you think is going to happen to interest rates? The Fed's going to be forced to cut even further. I mean, they've already really, they've already done their big pivot from raising rates to cutting rates. They've, they've lowered rates three times. Um, if they get you know, if they if they see economic data deteriorate enough that they have to cut a couple more times this year, which is sort of my forecast and expectation, um, then you know we're not going to be very far off of zero percent again. So I think that in this environment, uh, it, it's very tough. To, if it was hard to see interest rates rise notably during the expansion uh, and during a very strong bull market for stocks and other assets and so on, it's hard to see in a recessionary or weakening economy interest rates doing anything but fall. So that's what I've been positioned for, and it's worked out very well. I mean, in the Safe Money report, we have things like uh, we have a couple of ETFs. Uh, One is is essentially a bet on falling seven to ten-year interest rates, and then another is a bet on falling very long-term rates, Uh, and and those have paid off very well. It's funny when you talk about um, you know you mentioned how stocks have been in a bull market, and that certainly has been generally true. But if you go back two years uh, and you compare the the return of the SPY, the S&P 500 ETF. Against the EDV, which is Vanguard's ultra long-term Treasury ETF, uh, it, it's funny. Treasuries are outperforming the stock market. You've made about 45 percent total return on that Treasury ETF versus about a total return of 28 percent in two years on the S&P 500. It's a remarkable statistic, and it shows you that the, the bull market in bonds, in some way, has been even more powerful than the bull market in stocks since 2018.
1: So in this environment with low and falling inflation, sometimes negative inflation, you'd think that would be bad for gold. you think of gold doing well during inflationary times, yet you're very bullish on gold. What are your reasons why you think gold is going to go higher? It's already had a big move here recently, but why do you think it could go even higher?
2: Sure. We have a very unique situation, not just now, but really for the last 18 months or so, where you've seen, in tandem, treasuries rising in price, gold rising in price, and the U.S. dollar rising in in value against other currencies. That really sort of flies in the face of the historical pattern. Usually, uh, historically, gold would do well when the dollar was falling in value, but the opposite would be true. If the dollar was rising, gold would be falling and so on. Um, But why why are all these asset classes rising at the same time? And I think it goes back to the end of the cycle, the need for safety, the need for protection in a rising volatility environment. Um, I think people are buying gold, as I coined I a term, chaos insurance. A while back I've used it in presentations. Uh, essentially, you know, when all else fails, you, you gold is something in your portfolio that hopefully offsets some of the problems you're having elsewhere. So that's one thing. Another thing is, you know, we, we mentioned, uh, we discussed earlier how low interest rates are. In a, a negative interest rate environment, 0% yielding gold is actually a better yield than say -50 basis points on a, on a uh foreign treasury bond for example. So people are buying gold because it at yielding nothing is actually quote unquote higher yielding than some of these negative interest rate products. So you've got that going for you. Um I also think you know when you look at again what tends to do well at different points in the cycle. Um, gold tends to as you head into choppier more volatile markets, gold is one of those things that, that tends to outperform. And, you know, when I see what's supposed to happen actually happening, that reinforces my bullishness. So you look at all those factors, and then you throw in one last thing, which is central bank buying. Um, For many, many years in the 90s, for example, you had central banks that were actively selling gold and selling gold, and it just helped act as like a depressing factor on the price of the metal. But now, in the last couple of years, we've seen more central banks, foreign central banks, particularly those in countries with which we're uh, you know, arguing or fighting or whatever term you want to use, think of, of Russia, for example, or China and so on, and some other emerging markets, central banks are buying and accumulating gold. The Russian central bank actually sold tens of billions of dollars' worth of treasuries from reserves and reallocated that money into gold. So when you see that kind of real money buying on top of all these other things, it results in the, the, the bull market that we've, we've clearly seen uh, for the metal itself and many of the mining stocks.
1: Why are the central banks buying so much gold?
2: Uh, I, think to the, I think they're trying to de-dollarize. It's just a fancy term of basically make their, their economies less sensitive to or less tied to what the U.S. economy and the U.S. dollar is doing. Some of that is just, uh, again, in the case of, of Russia, obviously our nations you know, have, have had a lot of geopolitical uh, back and forth in the last few years. Certainly, with or with China, the situation is the same. And then you have some central banks uh, again, things that have gone through currency-related turmoil, like Turkey, for example, and they're trying to find some stability in the metal as a historical, you know, store of value. So that's what's going on there, I think. And then when it comes to the the stocks, the the gold and silver mining companies, for example, it's important to remember that they did nothing for six or seven years almost while the rest of the market was in a raging bull trend. Um, So if you're looking for a sector that's actually cheap and that the bull market forgot for quite some time um, and left behind even, if you will, it's really in the mining stocks. They've already been through the wilderness. They've had a lot of the weaker companies have gone out of business or shut down or or basically folded uh, operations. So a lot of that, that sort of leanness, um, all those, those bear market or sideways market things that, that happen, they've already gone through the ringer. And so I think that that's one of the sectors that is arguably still undervalued after many years of, of doing nothing or declining in value.
1: So would you play the mining stocks through an ETF like a GDX or GDXJ, or are there some individual mining stocks you would like?
2: Sure, I think you know I take the same approach there, and I'll, I'll tell people when I when I talk about the sector that it's great. Uh,
1: the ETFs are a fine
2: starting point. There's nothing wrong with GDX as a way to access the gold miners. It's going to have most of the major names and so on. But just like in other sectors, um, I think especially if you have a larger portfolio, and once you get sort of your allocation in ETFs, maybe it's worth doing the extra research and time to find individual miners. For example, within the the mining sector, I really like the royalty uh, streaming companies. These are companies like a Wheaton Precious Metals, uh, ticker symbol WPM, that doesn't just operate one mine here, and if something goes wrong in terms of labor issues or the reserve turns out to not be as good as they thought and so on, uh, that can be devastating to the company's share price. Wheaton actually spreads its bets. It finances the operation of mines that other people run and then collects a royalty or stream of income based on how much gold and silver those mines produce. So it's almost like, uh, you're not, it's almost like owning a, a mutual funder ETF, but it's a company that's gone out there, done the work, doesn't have the operational risk of, of running mines, but does get to share a percentage of the profits in the gold and silver that those mines produce. So Wheaton is probably my, my uh, top name in the space, and in the, the model portfolio, it's up about 50% for us.
1: I guess Franco Nevada is another one that does royalties as well, is that right?
2: Correct, yes. That's another one of the big royalty names out there. And I I think within the mining industry, those are are probably some of the best bets, not just for diversification, but in a low-yielding sector, a sector where dividend payouts are are less generous than other ones. These guys actually do have higher yields than many of their, their fellow mining companies. So it gives you a little bit of a yield kicker as well. Very good.
1: We're going to take another break. This is Jordan Goodman of The Money Answer Show. My guest this hour is Mike Larson senior analyst at Weiss Ratings, editor of the Safe Money Report. Uh, You can find out more at his website, weissratings.com. We'll be back after this. You may not be the greatest at getting places early, especially when traveling and getting to the airport early enough to avoid that I might miss my flight anxiety. That's why I'm excited about Clear. Using Clear reduces your stress big time because you bypass those long security check-in lines. So you never have to run to your gate again. CLEAR helps you zip through the airport security with a tap of your finger so you can get to your gate faster and relax. CLEAR replaces the need for physical ID cards because the system recognizes your eyes and fingerprints to get you through security quickly. With CLEAR, you are the best ID. Enrolling is quick and easy. Get started online, then finish enrolling at the airport with the help of a friendly CLEAR ambassador. No need to make an appointment and it takes just about five minutes and you can immediately use Clear. Clear also helps you get through security faster at stadiums and other locations around the country. Clear members can add up to three family members for the discounted rate of only $50 a year. Kids under 18 are free when tagging along with a Clear member. I remember vividly when I was taking a flight out of Las Vegas and the line of security would have taken at least an hour to get through, but I breezed right to the gate using Clear. Another time when I was coming home from Orlando, I Zoomed past hundreds of screaming kids with all their Disney costumes on to get to my flight in plenty of time. Clear is absolutely the best way to get through airport security. It works great with TSA PreCheck, too. Right now, listeners to The Money Answers Show can get their first two months of Clear for free. Go to clearme.com moneyanswers and use code moneyanswers. That's clearme.com moneyanswers and use code MONEYANSWERS for your free two months of CLEAR.
3: From the boardroom to you, Voice America Business Network.
0: You've been listening to The Money Answer Show with Jordan Goodman. If you have a question for Jordan or his guest, please call us now at 866-472-5790. That's 866-472-5790. Now back to Jordan.
1: Welcome back to The Money Answer Show. This is Jordan Goodman, your host. My guest this hour, Mike Larson, is senior analyst at Weiss Ratings and editor of the Safe Money Report and the Under the Radar Stocks newsletter. Welcome back to the show, Mike.
2: Ah, It's a great uh, great time to be on, that's for sure, with everything going on in this market.
1: Tell us about the other newsletter you do, Under the Radar Stocks. Uh, What is that about, and what are some of your favorites there these days?
2: Sure, in that in that product, we're looking. You know, we're willing to take more risk in search of, of higher returns. We are generally screening for companies that are only followed by zero or one traditional Wall Street analyst. But because our system is quantitatively based and and just to, you know takes the data, crunches the numbers, and so on, um, we can essentially run our model against every stock that trades in, in the U.S. markets. So what that. That particular product is looking to do, again, is identify these gems, these companies that are are less widely known. It's certainly not going to be recommending things like Apple. It's going to be smaller companies that their greatest growth days may be ahead of them. Um, Even in that service, for example, though, I've specifically been focusing more on things like gold mine and silver miners uh, because I think that's where a lot of the opportunity is. There's a small company called Gold Resource Corp., for example, ticker symbol G-O-R-O, that's been in there for a while, and that company's been uh, performing a lot better recently. That, again, sort of tied to the, the mining sector, but also being a, a smaller cap, smaller type name in the sector that's got a lot of growth potential ahead of it. Um, so that's what we're trying to do with that in that particular name. And even in there, you can find, for example, some smaller utilities like a Middlesex water, uh, water company, MSEX, that's actually a, a name that is benefiting from the trend, the overall sort of all tide, or you know, tide lifts all boats type trend, but also is doing some smart things on its own. So uh, those kinds of companies, as long as you're in sync with the broader uh, the broader trends of what's doing well, uh, and kind of avoid, trying to avoid what's underperforming, you can do pretty well with those names too. Although I will say. Uh, as we 've been discussing, this has been a market that 's been less forgiving and less understanding of small cap companies for really the last eighteen months or so versus some of the mega cap names that uh, that you find in the s and p five hundred so and I think that tends to be what you see in a late cycle environment as well. Uh, the smaller companies have bigger issues with credit risk, they have less diversification, and so on. So if you see, uh, if you see markets, uh, you know, people being uncertain about whether the economy is going to continue to grow and whether recession is a real issue, then your smaller cap companies in general are going to underperform, and that's been what we've seen.
1: So what areas of the market do you think are dangerous? I've seen, for example, that you are worried about junk bonds. There's been a lot of money going into uh, corporate debt. Are you concerned about the junk market and going into junk bond or ETFs like a JNK? Yeah, very much so.
2: I think that if you look at uh, the credit markets overall, the economy overall, and you try and find what, the, where have we seen the worst excesses, where have we seen the riskiest behavior, where have we seen, uh, whether it's from a lending or borrowing standpoint or an investment standpoint, where have people uh, shown the least caution and where assets, uh, really are assets really evaluations out of line with the underlying fundamentals? In the last cycle, it's no mystery where that was, right. It was mortgages and housing and so on. I mean everybody was was flipping Vegas condos and you know they were giving mortgages to no people who didn't have jobs and didn't have assets and and so on and lied about their income and so on. Um, in this case, you're seeing a lot of excess risk being taken on in the corporate credit market. Uh, companies bought, having money thrown at them left and right. Uh, companies paying very low rates to access money, frittering uh, that that money they raise away on sort of a non-productive, non-revenue and earnings boosting behavior. Um, and you see a lot of, uh, just like back then, I mean, everybody was piling into risky mortgage bonds. You see a lot of investors, both institutional and individual, that are just chasing yield. They're piling into high-risk, high-yield bonds because the yield is better, But is you know, it, or the yield is higher. But can those companies really uh, you know, afford to, to pay their debts and not default in larger numbers if the economy does turn down? And I think we got a taste of what's to come back in when you had in sort of the 2015-2016 time frame. Look at what happened to the energy sector. A lot of those shale companies were borrowing enormous amounts of money to uh, boost production. Then the price of oil crashed, and a lot of the the stocks involved crashed, and a lot of the bonds involved crashed. Um, You know, that was energy-specific. In this case, you're seeing the same kind of behavior in a lot more uh, industry groups. It's not just an energy thing. You're seeing, um, you know, risk pile up in other sectors of the, the economy that are and other parts of the junk bond market. So I think, it really, for a number of quarters now, the last few quarters, I've been saying, if you had to boil down the investment strategy, it's sell junk and high yield and buy Treasuries instead. At this phase in the cycle, where you're worried about defaults going up, companies having less uh, money coming in the door to, to pay their debts, and so on. Uh, especially when leverage, um, you know, is very higher in some cases at all-time highs. Depending how you measure it on the corporate side, uh, that's not an environment where buying a high-yield bond or one of these funds that invests in higher-risk bank loans and so on uh, really pays off for you. Your 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 yield is too lousy for the risk you're taking on. So if there's one danger area, it's that. And it definitely, you know, if, you're, if, if you need fixed income exposure, you want bonds. Um, in this environment, even at lower yields, I think you want treasuries rather than high-yield but debt because of the lack of default risk.
1: One area particularly people talk about is leveraged loans. Is that something that worries you as well?
2: Oh, absolutely, absolutely. Again, if, if, if you think high-yield in general or higher-risk uh, bonds in general are, are dangerous, the leverage, lend, the explosion in leverage loans outstanding, the explosion in borrowing, the, the restrictions on what companies can do with the money that are called covenants—all um, of these risk factors. If you can, uh, you know, I have, in my presentations, I've tried to—I tried to think of a way to sort of put it in layman's terms what this all means. And I actually came up with the Yertle the Turtle example. If you ever remember that book when you're a kid from Dr. Seuss, basically it was the turtles just kept stacking themselves higher and higher on top of each other's backs. Because Yertle the King wanted a better view in his pond, and then it all yes. came crashing down in the end. You're layering a lot of risks on top of each other in the corporate market, uh, and that's a real issue. It's to, again just to look back at the mortgage sector. It's like when you didn't just give a bunch of subprime loans, but you gave them to people who lied about their income, who didn't have money in the bank, who had low credit scores, who were buying investment properties with the money. It was risk on risk on risk, and that's what causes problems. So that's why I just think as an individual investor, you want to limit your exposure to that kind of stuff and just stick with treasuries and higher quality companies that don't have that, that leverage risk out there.
1: And you're saying this is happening not only domestically in the U.S. but around the world as well, where there's a lot of corporate debt in Europe and Asia.
2: Oh yes, for sure. I mean, uh, again, it's it's been actively encouraged. I mean, let's understand, it's it's been actively encouraged by central bank policy. Um when you have central banks that are in Europe for example that are buying enormous amounts of corporate debt, um, you know, there it drives down yields overall, not just on government bonds, but on you know bonds issued by corporations that theoretically uh, have other risks that governments don't. I mean, you know, governments generally can't go well, <laughs> with the exception of some of them, generally don't go bankrupt. But companies, uh, that happens all the time. So I think there's a, a real issue where it's happening overseas, and that feeds back into our markets as well. Uh, So, again, it's just a question of, you know, are you getting enough yield for the added risk you're taking on? And at these levels and at this point in the economic cycle, I just think you aren't. So that's the kind of stuff you want to avoid as an investor.
1: So so let's add political risk to the mix here as well. Say for a moment that Bernie Sanders uh, became a new president and had a Congress that could do everything he wanted. What would be the impact Mm -hmm. on the economy of massive tax increases, massive social spending, everything he's talking about?
2: You know, I try and look at politics through a nonpartisan lens and just say, look, for the sake of my listeners, my readers, it's all about what the impact is going to be on their investments. There's other things that factor in in real life, of course, but that's what I try and limit my perspective to. And when you look at what happened when Trump came in office, love him or hate him, uh, things like infrastructure spending, talk of that, uh, things like corporate tax cuts that boost profits, the things he did were very stock market and, and for a while economically friendly. It was obviously part of the reason why, after you got over... The initial shock of on election night, the markets took off and kept on running. Um, but I think we're starting to run out of some of that steam now. And then, if you look at, for example, what might happen under a Sanders administration, if he truly gets what he wants and is able to do the types of things he's talking about, again, whether you think the health care and education and other programs are are good for the society as a whole, from a economics and market standpoint, they're going to be negative because it's going to involve more taxation. It's going to involve clawing back some of the, these corporate-friendly uh, tax moves and so on that have been put under place under uh, the Trump administration. So um, I think, yes, it would be a, probably a negative shock to the market if Sanders uh, is truly elected and, and moves forward with the kinds of things he's been talking about.
1: Very good. Well, we've covered a lot of ground. My guest this hour has been Mike Larson, senior analyst at Weiss Ratings. You can find out more at his website, weissratings.com, for his two newsletters, Safe Money Report and Under the Radar Stocks. Thanks so much for giving us a lot of great insight, Mike. Great. Thanks for having me. Thanks again. We'll be back next week with another edition of The Money Answer Show. Goodbye for now.
0: Thank you for joining Jordan Goodman and The Money Answer Show. If you have a question for Jordan, please visit his website at www.moneyanswers.com. And be sure to tune in every Monday at 12 p.m. Pacific Standard Time right here on Voice America Business. See you next week.